Our reading today is from John 1, from chapter 35 to, sorry, chapter 1, from verse 35 to 42. And it says that the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard that John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and saying, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. This is the word of the Lord. The question I want us to address this evening is, what do you want? What are you looking for? If we could bring the slide up. The 19th century French impressionist artist Paul Gauguin painted art in search of quest, uh, art in search of answers. He had these pressing questions, and he didn't know where to go with them. So he went to art. He'd rejected the Catholic faith of his upbringing. He had actually been trained at a seminary for young priests. And he pursued a, a real kind of bohemian lifestyle, living on a Tahitian island, um, lots of sex, drugs, and occult, searching, searching, but never finding. And this is his most famous painting, some would say. It was his favorite painting, one of his last paintings. And uh, he titled it Three Questions. And uh, it's a series that moves from the right to the left, looking at life, or birth, life, and then death. And in the top left-hand corner, there are three questions there in French. And these questions translated are, where do we come from, what are we, and where are we going? And Gauguin, after he painted this, wrote to his art dealer, boldly announcing, I have finished a philosophical work on par or comparable with the gospel. How about that? What do you think? The fact is, his painting was no gospel because it offered no good news. It raised questions, but it had no answers. And Gauguin himself having painted this shortly thereafter, took a serious attempt at suicide by drinking rat poison. The Gospels tell us about Jesus, and Jesus gives us the answers to the questions of life. The questions that Gauguin was asking, that the world asked about origin, identity, purpose, meaning, the questions that if you come on Alpha or bring your friends to Alpha, we will be exploring there. And Jesus respectfully handles these questions 
He addresses them and he definitively answers them. In our reading, John the baptizer, this prophetic figure who was preparing the people for the coming of God, when he sees Jesus, he points at him. And the crowd around follow the point. And he says, look, here's the one. Here's the one we've been waiting for. Here's the one sent from God. Here's the one anointed by God. Here's the one who has come to take away that which stands between us and God, our sin, and make us right with God. And listening to this is this fisherman Andrew and his unnamed pal. You could put your name there if you want. And he heard and he was moved and he responded and he followed after Jesus. Why? Because if Jesus is the one, if Jesus is the one sent by God, God with us, God coming to remove the sin in our life, then who else would you rather be with? And he goes after Jesus. And Jesus sees and turns and asks him a question. And he says, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? I think it's a question that Jesus puts to all of us. What are you looking for? What are you seeking? I find it interesting that these are the very first words that are put on the lips of Jesus in John's Gospel. Because Jesus has come to meet that question in us. Because ultimately, he's the one that we are looking for, whether we know him or not. Andrew responds with a rather odd question. He says, where are you staying? And Andrew isn't interested in the interior decor of Jesus' home. What Andrew wants is the answer and the resolution to these interior desires in his heart. He wants to go and be with Jesus because being with Jesus will make things right. And Jesus replies, come and you will see. Come and see. Come with me. Come and find what it is you've been looking for. And this is the question Jesus asks all of us. It's the question he puts to you to me, to the world. What are you looking for? And this is the invitation that he puts out there. Come to me and see. I want to address just two of those questions that Gauguin asked. The first is the question about identity. Where do we come from and what are we? And it's Jesus who answers this search for our identity. A chum came and stayed with me, he was having an interview here in Oxford, and in the morning he looked very sharp with his suit and his tie, and I said to him, I really like your tie. He said, yeah, it's good, isn't it? He said, uh, I wore it recently to a wedding, and he said, a chap came up to me and said, which house? He said, I'm sorry? He said, which house? It's a Harrow tie. Which house were you in? Uh, to which my friend said, I bought it in Asda. 
Um, and then the guy walked off. But it's funny where we try and find our identity, where we try and find that security, some in their qualifications, some in their education, some in their profession, some in their relationships, some in their money or their looks or their stuff, their achievements. We're looking for who we are. At the end of Robert Ludlum's novel, Born Identity, that produced those epic movies. In the novel, the psychiatrist Mo Panoff says about Born, she says he's a, a functioning microcosm of us all. I mean, we're all trying to find out who on earth we are, aren't we? Who am I? Where did I come from? You know, many of us suffer an identity crisis. Last night I decided to Google these words, I don't know who I am. And there were five billion hits that came up. Five billion people asking the question of an internet search engine, trying to find the answer to their identity, their purpose, their meaning, their place in life. Some search for their identity in, in science, and science offers us a lot of amazing answers to the what of life. Biologists uh, will define us in terms of our DNA and our unique genome. Cosmologists might say that we're, we're nothing but cosmic accidents. We're just stardust in this universe, and there's a billion others after it. I once read an astrophysicist called Andrei Arkhipov who said that we come from sewage left by aliens. There's the matrix theory, of course, that claims we're characters in a supercomputer simulation. Science answers a lot of the questions about what, but it doesn't address itself to the question of why. I spoke this week to a chap at the end of my road and we got talking and, and then amazingly he made this statement, he said, I'm done with Dawkins. I thought, what are, why is that? He said, I've spent years as an atheist. So I really believed, I really committed to it. He said, but I've got all these questions. I've got all these feelings. And this worldview just didn't answer them. He said, I was in a pub recently and I had this experience. He said, I can only say it was a spiritual experience. I think it was God. And he said, uh, I'm wanting to explore spirituality. I'm going to invite him to come along to Alpha. It's a perfect place to bring those questions and to hear some answers. We see this search for identity uh, on our screens and in the news with international politics. You know, the concept of identity is the number one lens that is taught if you're doing a graduate degree here on international relations. The number one lens to understand people and culture and a nation. Not looking at 
economics, not looking at the history, but looking at their identity. The, who are we? Who are they? And it's a search for identity, I think, that was behind the ongoing Arab Spring and nearer to home, the Scottish independence pursuit and Brexit and devolution and immigration. And I think the war in Ukraine, are we Russian? Are we European? The war in Syria, are we with ISIS? Are we Syrian? Are we Kurdish? Who are we? There is this search for self. Some search for their identity in their social media and, uh, or perhaps following and idolizing celebrities, fantasizing and introjecting and consuming something of their persona uh, on the screen or perhaps projecting their own false persona. Most people who upload pictures on Instagram, I'm told, have edited them and airbrushed them first. So who is it they've put out there? They want people to like, to tick, to give a heart emoji or a hug or something to that. But what is that? Who is that that they've even uploaded? I think it's a search for self. And they're asking people to comment on themselves. But so often we become in that context just a hostage to comparison. And our mental well-being can be really damaged by hanging out there. I read a survey by Scope, the charity of Instagram and TikTok use, and uh, half the 1,200 18 to 34-year-olds who were surveyed felt unattractive when they looked and compared their social media feed to others. They go on there to find themselves, but they end up at times shriveling in comparison. Less hits, less likes, less love, not as attractive, and so on. But it's a search for identity. Why? Because we want to know who we are and where we've come from and where we're going and what our place is in this world. And we reach out to strangers online to give us an instant hit. Some search for identity in materialism. There's a wonderful writer called Eric Fromm, and he was a brilliant Jewish scholar who fled persecution in Nazi Germany. And he wrote about the need, quote, to feel a sense of identity. He says, this is the source of the most intense striving in us. And then he wrote a book, and it was fascinating. He said, our problem is that instead of finding out who we are, instead of being, we are buying. We're buying, not being, because we think by buying, we will know who we are. But he said, rather than find ourselves in a consumerist world, we've lost ourselves to the thing. And here's the thing. Whatever worldview, whatever grand schematic you choose to interpret life, it must make sense of who you are at your core. Shakespeare said that we have immortal longings within us. And like that guy I met at the end of my road, saying I've given up on that atheistic closed worldview because it doesn't deal with this longing that I have in my heart. I know I'm more than that. I'm made for more. As the Bible says, God has said eternity in our hearts. So Jesus 
turns and he asks, what are you seeking? And then he says, come and see. And Jesus is able to make sense of it all. He's able to make sense of us. He's able to make sense of who we are and our place in this world. Why? Because he knows us better than anyone. Because he can. Because he loves us. Because he made us. Because he's got a plan and a purpose for us. Because his very destiny himself, his purpose in being with us as Jesus of Nazareth, come from being the eternal Logos, the Son of God, is in order that we might find who we are by being found in him, by being brought home and rescued and saved and put right with God. And Andrew went and Andrew saw and Andrew gets saved. In being with Jesus, Andrew finds the truth. And immediately, having been with Jesus, he goes and, and steps into his purpose in life. He becomes the very first disciple, the very first evangelist, the very first witness. He knows who he is. He knows what he's about. And it is relating to this person, Jesus. He's found it. He's come and seen. And he immediately goes and gets his brother and brings him to Jesus. And what happens then? Jesus looks at his brother Simon and he says, you're Simon, son of John. He knows his name. And he says, but you will be called Peter the Rock. The thing is, Jesus sees us. He knows where we've come from. He knows where we are. He knows where he wants us to go. And it's Jesus who is the making of us. One of my favorite philosophers, a chap called Kierkegaard, he was a bit of a depressive old Dane, but he met with Jesus and it turned his life around. And you read him in his journals and he talks about this encounter with Jesus at Easter. And then he says, now, with God's help, I will become myself. I'll become who I'm meant to be. And Jesus, the one who made me and who loves me and who knows all about me, is the one who can do that. So that's the first question that Jesus responds to. And then the second, Jesus satisfies our longing for home. Go again, said, where are we going? Where are we going? And he painted his picture. He had no hope and he sought to tragically end it. I was recently in London. I go once a year and it's, you know, it's always a bit intimidating, isn't it, the big city? But I was walking down that new Bond Street full of all those posh shops and uh, there was this giant queue and I just followed the queue down. People, people, people all stood there. I thought, something's going on. And then when I got to the bottom, I saw that they were all queuing to get into Sotheby's auction house. And there was a preview of uh, Freddie Mercury's life on sale. And there were 1,400 items from his house in Kensington that were being sold 32 years after he died. They were being sold by the one who owned them all, an amazing woman called Mary Austin, who spent a couple of decades with Freddie Mercury, the only woman he really loved. And uh, I remember reading her back in the 90s, talking about how Freddie Mercury would come back at dawn after a night out of wild parties 
and he would cry himself to sleep in her arms. Anyway, he left it all to her, and 31 years later, she put it all up for sale. He received a lot of money. I think 40 million or something things went for. But here's the thing. It was the most viewed, the most viewed auction in person and online ever. 140,000 people queued to go into this auction. And I asked myself this question when I was there, why? Can you afford this? Are you all going to make a bid? It seemed that there was some sort of religious pilgrimage they were on 31, 32 years after he had died. But I suspect it's because all these decades later, they, like me, still listen to his music. He's a complete legend. And there's something in his lyrics that profoundly touch their soul. He asks questions that they are asking, that they are voicing. The last song he wrote, produced and put out in the late 80s, says, Who will find me and take care and side with me and guide me back safely to my home where I belong? Who can save me, lead me to my destiny, guide me home safely to my home? But how can I go on? How can I go on this way? Beautiful, powerful, articulate, insightful. He was able to understand and express what so many of us feel. I want to go home, but I don't know where it is. I asked my mate this week, Michael, I said, what does the word home mean to you? He said, bad memories, Margate. Yeah. A home is not where we live. This home is not where we come from, but home is where we long for. And the fact is that we are made to be at home with God. And deep within us, we feel this sense of dislocation and alienation, separation from something and from ourselves. And there's a whole industry of therapy and psychotherapy and psychology. And, and often at the core of the question being asked is this, where's home? Who am I and where do I belong? In the very first story about human origins in the Bible, it makes much sense of this. It's responding to this question of why we feel like this. And it says we were made by God, like God, for God. And we started off with God. But he loved us and he gave us the freedom to choose him or not, to love him freely. But in our freedom, we chose against him. We believed lies. We thought he was holding out on us. We thought we'd try it our way, go our own way. And we ended up in a right old mess. And we brought these shadows on us. And that led to a separation between us and God and being exiled from Eden, east of Eden. And the extraordinary thing is that God has chased us through the corridors of history trying to get us back to Eden. And he comes to us in person, in the person of Jesus Christ, who's willing to come and die to remove the wrong that we've done, to remove the barrier in the way, and to bring us back to him. Jesus says, what do you seek? 
And Andrew replied, where are you staying? And Jesus said, come with me. Come to me. Come home with me. And then finally and briefly, we need to be those who help show others the way home, to help them find out who they are and to help them find their way home. The first thing Andrew does after meeting Jesus is to go and get his brother. Why? Because he loves his brother. He loves his brother. He has discovered who he is He's discovered who's made him. He's discovered his purpose in life. And this is too good to keep to himself. And so he goes to his brother. He wants his brother to know and to experience what he has found and discovered and experienced. And he goes to Jesus and says, we have found the Messiah, God's anointed king. We found him. And then he brings him. Verse 42 of chapter 1, he brings him to Jesus at which point Jesus sees him and speaks into his life. He wanted him to come and see for himself. He wanted him to come and see. Some of you here may wonder, why do we, why do we go on about Alpha? And why, you know, why are my friends, maybe you've been brought along by a friend and you've come reluctantly and you think, why am I here? My mate's always trying to get me to church. Why? Because they've come and seen. And they want you to come and see. Discovering Jesus and finding ourselves and coming home to God, that's just too good to keep to yourself. You know, you're, you're not to tell people where a good coffee shop is. If you've discovered one, keep it to yourself. Otherwise, if you tell people, you won't get a seat next time. It's like a rule of life in Oxford. But you are to tell people about Jesus. And you're to bring your friends whether it's to a service or a special invite or bring them along to Alpha so they can ask their questions. You know, your, your butcher, your barista, and your barber. Bring them along, the person you nod to uh, in the queue when you get your sandwich at lunch or the person you chat to on your internet forum or wherever it is, bring them to Jesus because they, they've got these deep questions. They've got these deep longings. And they want to know what the answer is. And you've got it. In 1986, a long time ago, Tiffany, my wife and I, we met. And uh, we began writing letters. I know many of you won't know what that word means. <laughs> but it's something you write with a pen on paper. And you posted it. It's an amazing thing. And the next day it would get there. And you'd get this letter. You'd smell it and it would smell like your beloved and you'd savour every word. Anyway, we fell in love over these letters. <laughs> I say go old school. You know what I mean? And we really did. We lived a long way away but we met up periodically and we did fall in love and on our first date I proposed. I don't recommend that but she said <laughs> she said yes! Anyway. Fortunately, she agreed, and then I thought I'd better go meet her parents, so I arranged to go up. So I went to meet her parents up in London, and we had this meal. It was all a bit posh, a little bit tense, and they asked me a lot of questions about what I did for a living, and I'm not sure they were impressed. But I then asked her father, it was old school, I said, you know, can I have permission to marry your daughter? And he was stunned. 
And he, he thought about it for a bit, and then he said, you seem like a decent chap, and if you ever hurt her, I will break your neck. <laughs> it's a great line. I loved it. I respected that. But Tiffany's mum went white, and she was in shock. And she turned to Tiffany, and she just said, you never told me. You never told me. And Tiffany said, you never asked me. And uh, that was that. I had told the world about my beloved. I told the world I'm their dog. If there was no one sat next to me on the train, I told the empty seat. That I did. But Tiffany, she treasured these things like the beloved Virgin Mary in her heart, you know, that sort of thing. But we've got to tell people that when we found someone who's stolen our heart and brought us home and made us whole, we've got to go public with it. And so I do encourage you to be thinking who you can be inviting to Alpha and bring them along to church this term. Jesus is still asking, what do you seek? He's still saying, come and see. Amen.